You're listening to Advancing Our Church. Welcome to Advancing Our Church, a Changing Our World podcast about Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement. I'm Jim Friend. Well, I hope you're having a terrific week. Today on the show, we have a couple of special guests. First of all, we're going to talk with Sebastian Lurie. Sebastian is a director here at Changing Our World, and I've invited Sebastian to tell us a little bit more about his great work. As it happens, uh, Sebastian and I are working in the Diocese of Green Bay together on a $70 million capital campaign for the diocese. And so, Sebastian, welcome. Thanks for having me. Great to see you and, and great to be with you. you know, Sebastian, you've been working a little bit behind the scenes on our podcast, being our, our producer, and I appreciate all your great work. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your career? Yeah, so graduated in 2010 with my degree in English Journalism Creative Writing, and then put that to use in retail at the party store, and then <laughs> moved from there to higher education, where I did a little bit of everything, some administrative assistant work, record keeping, and was a record specialist database entering and stuff like that, which comes in handy now on what we do with Changing sure. the World, Yeah, and then um, moved into admissions counseling before getting into disaster programming, like preparedness and response with the American Red Cross. Wow. And then found my way to changing our world through a baby shower in 2015. Through a baby shower, no less. Wow. Yes. Yeah. My aunt uh, taught one of our now President Gavin's children in school. She was at a baby shower with his wife. Yeah. And, you know, his wife mentioned they were looking for help. But a week later, I had a job offer. Well, you, you never know how things are going to work out. Tell me a little about the disaster response job. That sounds pretty cool to the American Red Cross. It was obviously a much bigger outfit. Yeah. So I did two AmeriCorps terms mm -hmm. uh, at the time called NPRC, National Preparedness and Response Corps. Mm -hmm. And then I believe it's now called Red Cross Corps. Mm -hmm. But both with the St. Louis area Red Cross doing disaster pro uh, preparedness response. So a lot of presenting to schools, children, adults in at-risk neighborhoods, folks with functional access needs, mobility issues, et cetera. And then responding to home fires, flooding, tornadoes. And that led to a, a job there as a disaster program specialist, which was the job I was in before changing our world. That's great. And before you came to the Diocese of Green Bay, you were in the Diocese of Albany in a big successful capital campaign there. Tell us a little bit about the work you did for Albany. Sure. So I'll even back up before that. I started okay. with the Diocese or the Archdiocese of St. Louis. Oh, okay. $100 yeah. million dollar campaign there. Wow, nice. Which was my introduction to changing our world. Uh -huh. Here's a hundred million dollar campaign. Let's Good luck. do it. Right. Let's go for it. <clears throat> Focused a lot around education there, mm -hmm. um, but really a good opportunity to kind of get your feet wet, learn what the programming is all about, what changing our world's all about, really become part of the company. From there, worked with the Diocese of Trenton, specifically on one combined campaign, did a little work with the Athenaeum of Ohio. And then, as you mentioned, in August last year, was moved to the Albany campaign and helped out there. And Daniel, they're still wrapping up, but a lot of work in all those different organizations, working with individual priests, individual deacons or nuns and their committees to help identify who are the right volunteers to help figure out what we're going to do with our portion of the money, who are the right volunteers to help present what we're going to do with the money. Right. Sure. Um, and really just finding who's on fire for their parish, not just for the program, but for the parish. And then seeing how we can utilize that to help reignite our faith have a faith to move mountains or bring church beyond Sunday. So incorporating some of the different names there of the programs we've done, but also really making it not just a name, but a mindset as well. Yeah. And I, 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 as you were talking about that, it just reminds me of some of the experiences I have. It's always exciting to go work with a pastor to create something that wasn't there before. 
hopefully more uh, involvement, more engagement with parishioners, get them excited about this case for support, and then really see it come to fruition. And hopefully, through the process, this community becomes closer, they grow in their faith, but they also become more invested in their in their church and their parish, right? I, yeah. I think that's that's one of the most exciting pieces. I'd say some of my favorite parishes I've worked with were smaller parishes where the first couple of meetings, they're not like against what you're doing, but they're hesitant. They're a little unsure how it's going to work. They don't know how capital campaigning works in the small town community. But then working with them, kind of showing them our approach, seeing what works there, seeing if there's a way to kind of mix the two, and then seeing success later. One of my favorites was a priest who was kind of against the program we were running, but listened to us, heard it out, said, all right, let me try it a little bit on some of the people I know closest to me that, that became his CLC. Once he kind of got doing it and got into the process and saw what it could do and took that first step with us, it really fired him up. He ended up doubling his own gift and they ended, I think, at 99% of their goal. So wow. just one of those success stories that to me, it wasn't so much about the money as so much about the transformation of the parish and seeing the priest kind of accept this and go, all right, I can do this and I can ask people for money because it's not about the money, it's about the why. And what you said there at the end, that's probably one of the bigger challenges, but also greatest opportunities when you may have a priest who is maybe not as excited as you'd like him to be about this campaign, right? But by the end, he's feeling confident, he's feeling supported, and he reaches his goal of, of being able to fulfill this mission, right? Exactly. And, and I think, like I said, it's about the why. Because yeah. when we come in and we start talking to priests or committee members, the first thing they think is capital campaign. They think money. Yeah. And that's what they get nervous about. And rightfully so. There's a money component. There's usually a lofty goal, even for small parishes. Right. You know, 75000 is a huge goal for some parishes. So getting them to really think about what is the program that you're going to run or you know, the different things that you can address with the money. And once they have that, I find that the money usually follows. Mm -hmm. If they have a good case for support, as I know you know, I'm preaching to the choir, the good case for support, once they get behind that and they really run with, this is what we want to do with the church, the money aspect doesn't go away, but it becomes less of the elephant in the room. And it's more about, we need to get this stuff done. Exactly. Well, Sebastian, I want to thank you for stopping by and being on the show today. I'm going to have you back because you're now here in Green Bay with me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll get you back on the show again. But thanks, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Sebastian. We appreciate you being on the show, and we look forward to having you back on again soon. On today's show, we talk with Steve Vergadamo. Steve is currently the Associate Superintendent for Leadership at the Archdiocese of New York. He accepted this position with the Archdiocese of New York after a long and successful career of promoting the church's social teachings and advancing the mission of Catholic schools. Steve is a longtime advocate of school choice legislation, and he believes a parent's right to choose an education for their child is an issue of social justice as well as civil rights. In addition to serving as the associate superintendent, Steve serves as the executive director for the Curran Principal Academy. In this role, Steve mentors 16 Curran Principal Academy fellows, he secures gifts of over $300,000 a year annually, and he organizes and collaborates with corporate sponsors to fund their biannual principal meetings and retreats. For many years, Steve has promoted thought leadership to church leaders, trustees, and board members. His expert counsel over the many years has led many bishops, chief financial officers, superintendents, pastors, and principals to consider him to be an expert in both church and school management. We're very fortunate to have Steve on our show today and to hear him talk about his passion for Catholic schools and his thoughts on leadership. And so without further ado, here's our conversation. 
Well, Steve, welcome to the podcast. So glad to have you with us today. You spent over 30 years in Catholic education. What made you feel called to serve uh, in this capacity? Jim, that's a great question and a, and a good way to begin, um, because truly, I, I think I've been called. Um, the, and I think that's true to all of us who have served in Catholic education. Um, someone powered the Holy Spirit through themselves and simply said, come follow me. Mine is a little bit of an interesting story. Um, I grew up wanting to be an astronaut. I believe the uh, Charlie Bonds of Earth behind. And uh, went was fortunate enough to attend the United States Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs. And during my fourth class year, um, I spent a great deal of time in the chapel. Um, and I would have told you at the time there that I was kind of, it was a safe place to, to hide from the intensity and the pressure and, and even the hazing, because I'm old enough that there was hazing going on in the academies in those days. Uh, today, I know that I was spending my time in prayer, and I was strengthening and building my own relationship with Jesus Christ, which was built on the formation that I received in my own K-12 education up until that point. Um, I didn't know that the Lord was directing my life in a different way. I kind of, the astronaut piece never got to happen, although I prayed hard for that because I got in between the end of the Apollo program and the start of the space shuttle program. Wow. So fortunately, after leaving um, a life of the Air Force uh, cadet behind, I um, tell people that I was left the life of an officer, uh, but not that of a gentleman behind. And wasn't sure exactly um, what I was going to do at that point uh, after leaving the Air Force life behind, uh, and giving up on the dream of the astronaut. And I decided, well, while I was sorting that out and discerning that perhaps I should give some time back to this time to the greatest gift that had been given to me, which was my own Catholic education. So I was hired uh, in a school run by the Congregational Holy Cross, uh, both to teach and to begin student life, uh, and had a great experience there and began to learn a lot more about the administration of uh, Catholic education. Uh, I was called therefore from here to go to work as an associate superintendent in the Archdiocese of uh, Hartford. And after several years there, um, went to work in the Diocese of Wilmington, Delaware, uh, as the director uh, of stewardship uh, in the Diocese of Wilmington, Delaware. So my career kind of gone, you know, from uh, calling to serve the church from a pedagogical perspective to a leadership perspective to a fluid gift and advancement perspective. And then less there because I felt that um, Catholic schools were critical for the success of our church. So I began working across the country for a good part of those 30 years with 6,000 Catholic schools, 120 different dioceses. Um, and I can honestly say that I was blessed in that of all of those and during that time, uh, only 12 of those schools uh, closed during that time. One of the things I recognized in working with those schools was that um, the single most important difference was not the issues of finance and governance. Those issues of finance and governance, those issues of marketing, those issues of advancement and development uh, did not, were not in place as a successful leader and that the leader was the key. Um, so it was then that um, I felt called to begin working in the formation of, of leaders. Now, with all of that said, there were some that will tell you, perhaps even my parents might tell you, that by uh, 
ministry and Catholic education and Catholic school administration began as early as my own elementary school education. Because I will tell you, or they would tell you, that during my elementary years of K-8, I spent more time in the principal's office probably in the classroom. And by the time I was out of eighth grade, I had the equivalent of a master's degree in school building administration from sitting there and watching how well the sisters ran the school. <laughs> so in some ways, I was probably called from an early age. I tell people today, young people especially, be careful what you pray for or be very specific because God will answer your prayers. And in my case, uh, he didn't. My prayers, I did get to fly for a living, but I forgot to tell him what seat I wanted to sit in. That he called me to serve his church, particularly his schools uh, here. So, Steve, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your um, current role as the associate superintendent for leadership in the Archdiocese in New York. Jim, uh, happy to again, as I previously mentioned, I think the Holy Spirit has kind of guided my life and how I was going to serve the Ministry of Catholic Education, starting out as teacher, administrator, and then one of the pioneers in uh, development for Catholic schools, and then being called to working as an associate superintendent, and then ultimately traveling around the country working with Catholic schools, committed to doing everything we could to keep Catholic schools open. And in seeing 6,000 Catholic schools and 120 different dioceses, I realized that the issues of uh, development, the issues of strategic planning, the issues of marketing, the issues of enrollment management were symptoms of the real disease that schools were suffering from. And I say that because every time I found that there was a great leader in a school, those other issues that we talk about of finance and governance that people would say are the largest threats to Catholic schools today, were really not the largest threat. We didn't see that at all. The largest threat was really the leaders in the building and making sure we put the right leaders in the building and realized that we were not doing enough to necessarily form future leaders uh, for our Catholic schools. I'm of a generation that was formed by the men and women religious who came before us, and I have to admit that my generation assumed a lot about the leaders that were coming into these positions in the future. So when given the opportunity to go to work with um, Dr. Tim McNiff and particularly, of course, his eminent Cardinal Dolan, uh, who is so committed to Catholic schools and so committed to making them work and knowing how important leadership was, I accepted their invitation to go work in the Archdiocese. And my responsibility is primarily to identify and form not just future leaders, but then work with them when they're in their initial position. I really believe that 70% or more of our future Catholic school leaders are sitting in our classrooms today uh, as teachers. Uh, and the difference is that no one has called them to a larger role in leadership. And the responsibility of that belongs to all of us to do just as Jesus did, to tap them on the shoulder and say, come, follow me. But then also give them the, the skill sets um, that they need to be successful in doing that. That's what that role is all about. Uh, it's identifying, forming future leaders, putting them in place, and supporting them for three years. Uh, we uh, have a three-year formation program where we support our new principal and our new school leaders so that they can grow. But the role in leadership goes beyond that because we also have asked enough to form future leaders for our, our diocesan, for archdiocesan leadership position church. 
uh, if you paid some True. attention to what is now going on across the country here, there were as many as 10 superintendent searches going on at one time, and many of them came up with just interim superintendents unable to fill those positions because we're not focusing on a pipeline of succession. And I think we need to be doing more as a church to focus in on a pipeline of succession, not just forming principles. That's just the beginning of the pipeline. We need to be forming those that get central office experience that yet to be uh, experienced to serve at a higher level within the church to ensure the future viability of our school. I couldn't agree more, Stephen. You know, what when you were talking about, you know, tapping somebody on the shoulder and asking them, uh, you know, we've all had that moment, right? If we were in leadership that somebody tapped us on the shoulder and said, hey, would you would you consider a different kind of role? And uh, I, I love what you're saying about a succession plan and, and just grooming young leaders. I, I agree. Folks who are in the classroom are your next principals, right? Or your next uh, assistant superintendents or maybe superintendents someday. So you in the archdiocese, is there, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about that. How does, uh, how does that process work where you identify somebody who is a teacher who might be a future principal? Is there an, an academy or is there a, a program which they can follow for mentoring and and get guidance on that kind of a path to principal, to be a principal. Sure, happy to. Uh, I just want to digress here just for a moment because yeah. I think the thing, too, about tapping people on the shoulder relates to our vocation crisis in this country. Mm. Uh, we simply have stopped asking. Yeah. Uh, and we need to be asking young men and women and calling them to this. And I don't know why we stopped asking, uh, but I tell people quite directly that if someone had tapped me on the shoulder and asked me to consider a vocation, be looking, working for the church still, but in a very different path. And I think we have to be called to that to remember to be asking people, because all of us have been asked by someone, as you said, tapped on the shoulder to do that. So let's talk about a little bit about the leadership program in, in, in New York. Yeah, um, sure. One of the more difficult things about changing the culture and creating a pipeline was getting principals to be able to give up those that were the best contributors to their school. When I say best contributors, the best contributor was often not maybe the best teacher to make the best administrator, but the best person who had the leadership ability to step up to the next level, whether that be the pedagogical skills or the organizational skills, whether that be the charismatic skills. And of course, principals don't want to give them up when they find them, inform them, and nurture them because it makes their job more difficult. Right. So we appreciate that culture. So the first thing we did was began talking about the bloodlines, and that you're not really a successful leader until you have formed future leaders. And that's how we were going to measure success, by your ability to form future leaders. We had to create a sense of pride in our building leaders that they had bloodlines. And so we began with those who were already in place, build the bloodline pictures to hang in their office of those that they had formed that had gone on already, kind of before we had gotten there, to make this a, a real cost of something we valued. The second step we did was we said we're going to um, schedule each year an evening of recognition and discernment. The evening of recognition and discernment was where we were going to ask each building principal of 200 schools to nominate an individual who has made significant contributions in their school as a teacher or a staff member that they wanted to recognize and be called to a higher level of leadership and discernment. And so each year, uh, when we get those nominations, uh, we have a uh, cocktail reception that is sponsored by the superintendent and the cardinal, and they're invited downtown to the uh, 
Cardinals uh, uh, boardroom and social area in the building. There's a wonderful cocktail reception, but they're invited there with their spouse. They received this letter, not an email, but they received this letter of recognition from the superintendent the Cardinals invites them to uh, this event to come. And at that evening, they're basically thanked for what they have done to support the Ministry of Catholic Education. But they're also tapped on the shoulder to say, come, follow me, as an invitation to a call to leadership. At the same time, we say to those who are there that if it's a financial issue and you can't find your way to do this, we have ways to help you. And we have used our friends and philanthropic supporters that also believe with us that leadership is the critical piece to a successful Catholic school create funding for them uh, to be engaged in a master's program to attend their school building leadership certification, as well as the master's degree in Catholic school building administration, which we thought was important that it be focused specifically on Catholic school administration. And typically we get uh, somewhere in the range of 20, 25 applicants each year. so it becomes competitive. Uh, we award 10 to 12 fellowships each year. When I first arrived there, they were going right into a graduate, putting them right into a graduate program. And we were using, in a partnership with um, Dr. Chris Ritchie Carter and Dr. Cataro at Fordham University uh, for their master's program in Catholic school leadership. And we're also using the um, Remick Catholic school leadership program at the University of Notre Dame, where we would send one out there each year. The difference was the REMIC program is a summer program. So for somebody with, you know, young children or something that couldn't afford to give up a night a week, but could afford to give up three or four weeks in the summer, depending on their schedule, we were able to accommodate uh, those needs and also kind of balance the two programs. When they were going to school, we thought it was important that they go through as a cohort because we believe this is going to be their support group as their role for principals. So we build... Uh, a sense of community, a sense of esprit de corps uh, among them as they go through that, which is part of why I referenced my early career and experience at the Air Force Academy, because there was that building of the esprit de corps. Uh, there is that building of esprit de corps when you work on the campus of the University of Notre Dame that people feel just this something about this special brigade that is there. And that's what we wanted to create in, in these folks. I've been highly successful uh, in placing positions. We were blessed to have that program in place in uh, one of the years that we had an early retirement buyout, and we lost 42 teachers to an early, 42 principals to an early retirement buyout wow. in one year to replace. If it were not for this program, we would not have been able to uh, to be as successful as we was in replacing that and have the schools not miss a beat. We made an adjustment uh, this past year in the program. But I've now taken it from a two-year program to a three-year program. What I mean by that is we're not putting our – one, we are selecting more than 10 or 12. Since we're getting 20 to 25 applicants each year, and selection was being made um, as best as we could, uh, looking uh, at references, speaking with them, interviewing them. But I felt like we were um, maybe not we – could, we could have expanded the base a little bit. So what we've done now is we've added a third year to the program that is actually called a year of discernment. And I'm really excited about this year of discernment. Uh, We're partnering with uh, Father Ron Nuzzi, who is a professor emeritus from the University of Notre Dame, a good friend, actually a mentor to me and someone I've worked with for years. That We have um, 
16 spoke in the program, and they will spend a year uh, over a course of five seminars and a summer uh, retreat to begin the uh, program, and then a summer retreat at the end of the program uh, that will actually be a time of discernment. It'll be then time for them to discern, do they really want to go on and into a role of leadership at a Catholic school, but also an opportunity for us to get a better discernment. Is this the candidate we want to move on? And what we're finding is we're getting a better look at these candidates by doing that already and what school they might fit into uh, from a cultural perspective. Um, and my hope in this program is that we will actually uh, expand this and partner with another diocese or archdiocese uh, with this year of discernment, and then return folks back into their own diocese or archdiocese for the formal graduate education. We were close this past year. We were looking and working with the Archdiocese of Chicago, so we could have partnered one of our people in discernment with somebody in the Archdiocese of Chicago in discernment with my friend, superintendent there, Jim Rigg, uh, and then the financing at that end just kind of did not come together, but we're still having conversations. And my hope is that, uh, if not Chicago, we'll be able to expand this out to other dioceses and archdioceses and be kind of creating a brigade that goes beyond one diocese or archdiocese, but a network of Catholic leaders. People say to me, why is that important? And I say, because we've become far more transient than we've ever been before. Leaders we're training in New York may not serve in New York. They may serve in Indianapolis, they may serve in Orlando, they may serve in L.A. Sure. And those that are being formed somewhere else may end up serving in New York. Sure. Steve, I, I, I love the way you've described this. You've kind of ritualized their call and, and providing this great education and even a support and community and peers that go through this whole process. Is that is that connected to your role as executive director of the Curran Principal Academy, or is that something is that something different? What does that entail? It, it really is both. The, the executive director in the current principal academy is this group, this cohort that we're saying that we're talking about coming coming sure. through. Okay. But as the role of the associate superintendent for leadership, the uh, executive director, the current piece was just a program that we created within that within that overall job scope to work with for those that are identifying and those that are in formation to provide those resources to them, uh, and also looking at the bigger picture because while. I love the opportunity to work in the Archdiocese of New York. It's a, it's a great place to be. Um, I, I really feel the issue of leadership is an issue that goes beyond one diocese or one archdiocese, and we are all struggling with it. And anything that we can do together uh, to form the future leaders is going to ensure that we rewrite the script for Catholic schools. Um, Cardinal Dolan likes to speak about no more hospice. We're done with the hospice. We have to have a, an attitude of, of, of growth. Right, uh, and uh, I personally believe, and I'll say this over and over again, uh, we are going to rebuild our church on our Catholic schools, just as we did in the 1800s. Beautiful. And I say that because the second largest denomination, as you know from the research, that identify themselves with any religious organization are fallen away Catholic. Right. So these fallen away Catholics are choosing to enroll their children in some of our schools because they believe that it's providing a better academic environment, it's providing a better social environment, it's providing a better cultural environment. They may not be choosing it for the mission and the Catholic identity of the school, but once they enroll that child in the school, let the evangelization begin. That gives us another chance. Which is also one of the things I like to focus on with our new leaders, that they now have a new role that perhaps they never looked at before, 
and we spend some time talking to them about this and giving them the skill set to be evangelizing. Um, how can and we spend a lot of time with them on apologetics, you know, how they can actually defend mm-hmm. uh, the faith, uh, especially given the kind of times that we are in right now. Sure, the tough questions that they're going to be asked by parents and and certainly by their students. Steve, um, you know, when I was uh, when I was in Allentown and and Philly and a couple different dioceses, uh, this this issue, this challenge of finding good leaders, finding people who are willing to be leaders in our Catholic schools, and certainly um, you're providing that kind of that runway, that training, and that support to get them. Uh, to that destination. Are you finding, uh, have you found, uh, I've found, but I don't know if you've probably found the same thing, that the role of the Catholic school leader is certainly different than it was 20 years ago, maybe even different than it was 10 years ago because of the factors of marketing and development and uh, maybe working with a board. Uh, many of our, our Catholic schools around the country have implemented a board of limited jurisdiction or uh, have now they've implied or um, they have a full-time advancement director, advancement program that is now uh, a part of the program. Are, are you finding that that kind of differentiates or uh, expands the, the kind of training that's needed for these Catholic school leaders? Well, there's no question about that, Jim. Uh, they, they, they cannot just be the pedagogical leader. Uh, in fact, uh, we built a profile of what we were looking for in our future school leaders and what once would have been that their biggest and strongest strength was instruction right at the top of the list now falls in the top 10, but it's fall down, fell down significantly. Mm-hmm. At the very top of that list is relationships. Uh, and what we really try to say to folks is, to me, it actually follows my limited knowledge of the theology of the Trinity. Um, when I look at my limited knowledge of the theology of the Trinity, you know, if we talk about God is three in one, um, to me, that means God is in a relationship, and yep. if He can't do it alone, then what the heck makes us think any one of us can do it alone? So it's to that point that we are most like God than when we were in community. So when we involve people in board capacity, we involve people to help us market the schools, we involve people as those ambassadors, uh, we are, in fact, in a community, and that's so that skill set of relation-building is critical to the, the principle of the school. But also being humble enough to know that they need that kind of help, that the Lord's not given us, um, any one of us, all of the wisdom, and yet we need to be able to share that wisdom. Uh, we talk to our leaders about that we are truly larger than the sum of our parts, if they're willing and open uh, to do that. We also talk to our leaders about how this just follows a good premise of stewardship, by allowing people to philanthropically support your school, allowing people to use their time and talent and treasure to build up your mission, which advances the mission of the Church, uh, is recognizing that um, they are looking for an opportunity to do that, because as a baptized member, they're called and want to fill that, their stewardship um, uh, commitment to fill uh, their role in the Church. So we talk to them about that a great deal, um, and it certainly is a much higher level up on the skill set than it was before, but it's the relation building. Um, when I think about the NCEA definition of development that every Catholic school today is supposed to operate under, it really comes from initially it was penned by Tom Gonther, I believe, at Northwestern uh, University, but it says that the highest destiny of any school can only be realized when everyone involved in the life of that school 
analyzes the philosophy, you know, kind of what business are we in, crystallizes those objectives, what do we want to accomplish, projects them into the future, long-range plans, and then everybody has to take the steps to make it happen. And when we talk about everyone involved in the life of the school, it's the parents, it's the faculty, it's the staff, it's the parishioners, it's the pastor, it's the alumni, it's the grandparents, it's the parents, it's all of the baptized. Uh, we have an obligation to support this very important ministry of the church, and our role is simply to invite these donors to share their resources to build up this kingdom and, and be part of carrying out that mission. And I, and I think um, part of the, the role is, is probably also inviting people uh, with gift, with those gifts into your into service to your Catholic school, right? So you know we know that if our if our Catholic school leaders have had a focus their career of, of an, an education on Catholic education, on administration, that they might not have spent a lot of time on marketing, on development, and might need to elicit those gifts from the community either through uh, hiring somebody part-time if they have the funds or full-time, hopefully, or maybe a couple of somebodies to be a part of that advancement team or uh, inviting participation from the community, people with business skills and finance skills, people who can help them uh, manage the business aspect, right, of managing their Catholic school through either the finance committee or through an advancement committee or, or parent, parent relations committee or what have you. Yeah, Jim, there's no question. Without, without that, our schools are still going to continue to flounder. Um, but I, I say it's, um, it's the leader who needs to be open to make that happen. I often tell folks the story, um, of, um, uh, I used to call them Canadian geese and someone told me, they reminded me they had no ethnic origin, <laughs> but I thought they flew in that bee formation for the longest time to make it easier for hunters to shoot them down. And I thought they also flew in that V formation because of the one bee goose. And somebody corrected me and said, no, you know, what works is they're flying in that formation because they're drafting off each other. And it's not always the same goose that's out there. And a successful Catholic school leader needs to know when is it time for the board chair or the board to be out media. When is it time for the staff? When is it time for the parents? But still be the one that is kind of following the direction. Sometimes I, um, I tell the story uh, of being, from being a big college basketball fan that it's the best team doesn't always win the NCAA championship every year. It's the best team that's got to play together and knows what their roles are. And the role of the capital school principal in the model that you're describing of the college is I call it the point guard. You've got to keep the ball in play and make sure that the right people are getting at the right time, whether it be your marketing committee, whether it be those ambassadors, whether it be the board. But your job is to, is to keep that in play at all times and make sure the right people have the ball at the right time to be successful. It's very much a jack of all trades these days. It uh, it takes a very special person, and and yet I think, as you're saying, there are training programs, there are ways in which we can equip our Catholic school leaders to to have those that skill set and to be, you know, that leader that we need them to be uh, today in today's church. You know, uh, Steve, you've talked a lot about um, in other interviews of the things you've done on the importance of reculturing. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about more about the process of reculturing and what factor, what you know, what should factor into that the culture? Uh, sure, um, ha- happy to do that. Um, some of <clears throat> some of our schools, because, uh, and I think it's that shift in leadership from the men and women religious to my generation to the next generation that didn't have the experience to be formed by the men and women religious. Um, 
have adopted, in my opinion, a strategy that they talk about data-driven instruction. And it's all about the pedagogy of data-driven instruction. And the reculturing has to be returning to our roots. So we, we need to talk about instruction, but it needs to be mission-driven instruction. Because what we do in instruction is to drive the overall mission of the school. The data instruction is just one piece uh, of that. The, um, the, um, I said it before, I think that the vision for the future has to be that, um, that's the best way to say this. Um, our schools are about Christ and the Eucharist. It's not about test scores. It's not about those final test scores. Right. And we've gotten a little bit too caught up, I think, in, in some of that. So we need to be able to go back to folks to say, Let, let's really take a look about this. It's all about the mission. Um, and every Catholic school today will tell you, Jim, that, you know, hey, we have a philosophy. Yes, our philosophy comes from the church document. It's going to talk about the integration of faith in the curriculum, education of the whole child, education for social justice. Many more even tell you that they have a mission that addresses who they are and who they serve. Some are fortunate enough to have a profile of the graduate graduation. But the reculturing, I want them to go back and look at what I call root values. And I'll give an example of what I call root values. I mentioned before that my formation in Catholic education came at the hands of the Congregation of Holy Cross, both working in one of their high schools early in my career and later on at the University of Cambridge. So when I serve as a leader of the school or I serve in my position as associate superintendent for leadership, one of the root values that I would share at a school or one of the root values that I currently share with leaders today from my perspective is to make God known, loved, and served because that comes directly from the Congregation of Holy Cross. So if you go through a process with your faculty and staff, because I think it needs to, it can't just come from the leader. The leader has to be someone who's going to go with the faculty and say, okay, given this, what, that this is our mission, and we're going to adopt a culture in this school, what are our root values? What do we really care about? What do we want to build this all on? And then every decision should be made based on that. So in my case, if it was to make God known, loved, and served, and the future leaders that I work with will hear me say this all the time, okay, if we do that, if we implement that strategy, if we do this, how is this helping us make God better to be known, loved, and served in this world? And then everything needs to come and flow from the root values. And the root values, I think, are going to distinguish one Catholic school from another. While the philosophy and missions will always be the same, what they are, the core root values which flow from that philosophy and mission creates that culture within the school. It creates everything we do in the school is based on this because this is what we're trying to accomplish. So the reculturing is very mission-focused, but it's also very, uh, I call it core-based, root-value-based. I don't think that makes any sense to you. Yeah. It's interesting what you're saying because I, I think so many of our schools, they spend a lot of time, uh, or they can, on, on lengthy mission statements, right? But what I think you're saying is you really need to break it down to just your core values. What is your vision for the school? What kind of school do you want to be? And make that a very simple statement and kind of the mantra for everything, or, or look, that is the lens by which you look at everything uh, on, on the, regarding the decisions that you're making for your school. 
fit, well said. I may feel it a little bit, Jim, the next time I've got to answer that question. So really well, well, well said. Hmm. It's, it's also the rally cry by which you then share the larger community. Your faculty and staff help you develop those four root values, um, but then that's what they're asking the community to invest in. Uh, that's what distinguishes you from, you know, from, uh, you know, from other, other, even other Catholic uh, schools that people may be invited to participate philanthropically. Sure, sure. Well, Steve, uh, I know you've talked about the difference between a good Catholic school and a great, great one. You want to uh, want to tell us a little bit about uh, your your view on that? Uh, what what makes a great Catholic school? Uh, sure, I think at, at the very essence of it is the is the leader who is reflective and always willing to to grow. Um, Knut Lockney said after winning three national championships in 24, 29, and 30, he said, there's no reason for me to continue unless I can improve. <laughs> and um, we try to say that to our, our leaders every single year. Um, it's time to be reflective and look about how, how we can get better uh, at this. It's time to, to look at the cross and say to Jesus, how can I serve you better? What can I do differently and better to serve you? Um, to stay with the same theme, having you know worked on the campus in South Bend, uh, our Parsegian said a good leader uh, doesn't help his players see what they are, but helps them see what they can be. Sure. And, and that is important for our Catholic school leaders uh, to help them see what they can, they can be. Because if we put those pieces in place, there's no question that the issues of financing and governance kind of fall uh, by the wayside. Um, a good Catholic school has leaders that um, recognize that they they come from um, giants, I call them. You know, they're, um, they're present in the halls of their schools just as much as um, they were as if they were walking the earth. And what do I mean? Uh, you know, our schools are built on Augustine and Patrick and Bridget, Ignatius, Elizabeth Ann, Thomas, Newman, Bosco, um, Catherine McCauley, Dominic, uh, Francis, Vincent you know, ever present in our buildings. And when we make them present and our buildings and leaders make them present, our schools are going to be more successful. Um, I ask our teachers and our leaders to uh, embrace these paradigm breakers, um, you know, like Francis uh, right now, and his kindness to the earth, his quest to humble living, uh, you know, call for evangelization. Um, I ask leaders in our schools to be successful, to take something from Benedict and attempt to some centrality of prayer and hard work and living peacefully in community and how we do that just beyond our faculty and students, but our parents and contribute that to the larger church community. I think one of the things that makes successful schools is, um, you know, when we embrace Ignatius, you know, he met people where they were and um, he took them forward from that point uh, going on. Uh, they embrace somebody like Thomas Aquinas, who his you know, his systematic learning and the deep reflection that I talked about before, the intellect. Um, Patrick, you know, the patron saint of the archives in New York, the zeal for creative teaching and catechesis. Um, and you think about it, he really was at the foundation of uh, differentiating and scaffolding instruction. Um, sure. John Bosco, you know, I tell folks, be like St. John Bosco. He changed the face of Italy with his youth camp, not ever giving up on a child, uh, be that special force, um, that special force faculty and staff in a great school and leave no soul behind. 
work in New York City, I tell them we can never ignore Frances Cabrini and like have her in the school because, you know, she uh named the patroness of immigrants and we need her fervor and blessing to be secure. Uh, I call it the litany of the saints when I talk about them. Dominic and it's the hard confidence of speaking truth. And I, I can go on and on with these. Um when we embrace those giants of Catholic education, those educational icons, uh, we recognize that we come from an incredible heritage. But we can't keep doing things the same way as we did before, and that's the reculturing piece. We have to recognize that we need to do things differently today, and that's the piece that you spoke about, I think, a little earlier about recognizing and involving people in the development, the marketing, and the advancement efforts. Uh-huh. With all this said, Jim, I'd like to think that, you know, we've got all of the solutions. Um, we don't. Uh, we're only beginning to learn the power of this quest of tools. Things are changing at blinding speed. Um, some say that the um, the best days of Catholic schools are behind us. Um, I, I frankly don't believe that. Uh, Neither I don't believe do I. That because yeah. I think we're, we're needed ever before. We're going to look differently. Um, and And... In fact, you know, we were founded, people often don't understand why schools were founded the way they were and why we had so many of them, and they, they grieved the closing of them, and I think it's really just restructuring to the time. Uh, in New York, for example, we, I could literally take you to corners where at one point in time we had a school and a church on all four corners because it was founded for the immigrants that, uh, well, this was for the Irish and the Italians and the, oh, yeah. the Germans. You'd find that in a, in a lot of uh, archdioceses and dioceses in the Northeast. Absolutely. Allentown, Philadelphia, Jersey. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah, and we certainly don't, you know, so we talk about closing a school, yeah. and it's really kind of a, a restructure. It's a reorganization that, mm-hmm. that, that's going on. Um, I, I think we're needed more than ever when you look at what's going on in our world, and you think about what the Church has done for us in Canon 795 when it talks about... Uh, you know, kind of education of the whole person, and uh, that that's what we are about, and, and that's what we need to do. And uh, when we do that, I think we've got a great capital when we serve, serve the overall church. Uh, but the critical piece of that is the, is the leader, and we have a responsibility to get those leaders to skill set. People ask me, what do you, how do you hire? And I say, I hire or I pick the current fellows for attitude. I hire or pick the current fellows for faith. I hire or pick the current fellows for zeal. I hire or pick the current fellows for a recognition of mission. I hire them for a willingness to serve, and then we teach them the skill sets that they need to be successful. Well, we we certainly have a um, plethora. The beautiful part about our church is that we have, as you said, just giants who have come before us and people that we can model good leadership and Catholic values uh, to be good Catholic educators, to be model schools, uh, and to reach out to the, to the children and the families that are looking and seeking uh, a Catholic education. I couldn't agree with you more, Steve. Uh, I think our best days are still ahead of us. I think that the, the times we're living in now are a rebirth, a renaissance, if you will, of how we view Catholic education. I think it's just going to make us a stronger school system, a stronger country in the future. I really appreciate you being on. Really, really appreciate you being on the show today. If um, somebody would like to find out more information about the work that you're doing, or would like to reach out to you, how how would they do that, Steve? Uh, Jim, they can just really do that. They can reach me through. Uh, I'm just uh, Stephen at archny.org. That's the quickest way. Um, and always happy to serve and, and help. 
I'll, I'll just leave you with just one thought, if I can. Yeah. That, um, uh, that I share with uh, all of our future leaders uh, at our commissioning ceremony is they're, they're launched into that ministry, and I kind of tell them, I paraphrase John Kennedy's inaugural address, um, and I tell them, and this is what I'd like your listeners to hear about the future. Uh, let it be known to all who go forth today, both friends and foe alike, that the torch has been passed to a new generation of Catholic school leaders born in the latter half of the last century, formed in a post-Vatican II church, now hardened by scandal, and committed ever, more now than ever before to continue this great legacy of Catholic schools and improve them because it is something that is needed for our church, our country, and our people. Beautiful, Steve. Thank you. Thanks for being on the show today, and uh, thank you for all you're doing for Catholic education, both in the Archdiocese of New York and the work that you're doing uh, all around the country. And Jim, thank you, because you know, we've, we've been in it together for a long time in, yep. in different places and across paths, but we, we certainly have shared this, this calling for a long time. So, so thank you for what you continue to do to build up this kingdom uh, of God through our Catholic school. Absolutely. Thank you. Great day, Jim. God bless. Thanks, Steve. I want to thank Steve for being on our show this week and for offering some great thoughts on leadership. I'll leave Steve's contact information in our show notes and on our website. Well, that's our show this week. Many thanks to the Changing Our World podcast team and to Pottery Studios for their support of our show. If you'd like more information about our podcast, please visit us at advancingourchurch.com. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. A great way to show love for our show is to leave us a rating on iTunes, and we appreciate everyone who has done that so far. Thanks again also for all those who retweet and like our posts on Twitter and Facebook. The way you spread that through social media makes a big impact in spreading the word about our show. Advancing Our Church is a production of Changing Our World, a fundraising and social impact consulting firm that has been advising both nonprofits and corporations for the past 20 years. For more information, please visit us at changingourworld.com. Well, that's it for me, everybody. Have a great week. Take care and God bless.